and welcome back to the What Is Life Dude podcast. We are Sarah and Eric. Welcome back. You haven't worked on that uh, tagline yet? Uh, no, in fact, I completely forgot about it. <laughs> but he did make the uh, the little sound effects that we promised. I made one of them. And you're going to make one for Positivity Box this week. I don't know about this week. I'm commissioning you. I have a lot of projects. Right. We're going to get into that because this is the episode all about money and our relationships with it. So this is less going to be, this is not going to be like a financial seminar because truthfully, <laughs> neither of us has that level of uh, expertise on the topic. But I feel like money is one of those taboo subjects. People very rarely are open about it. And so I just wanted to kind of open up the conversation, talk a little bit about our relationships with money. Um, it's something that, I mean, it's one of those, like finances are one of those uh, topics that are the cause of a lot of divorces, you know? It's just one of those hot button issues. So am I using that right? Hot button issues? I think so. Right. Can't get so, divorced if you don't get married. <laughs> true. Um, so it's something that comes up a lot in our relationship as it does in, I would imagine, most relationships. As it should. And I personally believe both of us have made a lot of, I, I know myself at least, I've made a lot of progress emotionally, psychologically with my relationship with money, especially over the past couple months, I would say. And it's something that I have been reading a lot about, well, rather listening to a lot of audiobooks about lately. I think you can call that reading. Right. So if you know me, I go through these phases of obsessive study and I just buy a bunch of audiobooks and watch a bunch of YouTube videos and listen to a lot of podcast episodes about the same topic. And I'll do this for like months at a time. And the subject <laughs> will just kind of change every few months. And right now I'm going through a money and financial literacy phase. So, And I reap the rewards of that because she tells me all about it and I don't have to <laughs> read the books. I mean, that's the great thing about relationships, right? It's the great is thing that, about being in a relationship with you specifically. Sure. That's the great thing about relationships, not just romantic relationships, friendships, fam like family ships. <laughs> uh, I just invented that term. Good but job. Like the whole point of like having other people in your life is, I mean, besides the whole like it's fun thing is that not everyone has to do the same research. Work. Like not everyone has to learn the same things. You don't have to make the same mistakes as other people who are close to you because just by virtue of having them in your life and hearing their stories and seeing what they're going through, you get to learn from it. So let's, before we get into the topic, let's recap what Sarah learned from me uh, over the last three days. What? <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea what you're going to talk about. So she learned, um, no, I, I was being sarcastic <laughs> because I was going to bring up the PS4 controller story because it's uh, hot on the mind. It's oh, yeah. Fresh let's have a little, um, let's have a negativity box moment. Yes. And I'm trying to make negativity box and positivity, positivity box happen. Okay. So maybe there'll be a sound effect for the negativity box right here. <laughs> we'll get your mom to do that she's been she's been doing that all the time it's the mario sound when you die in mario oh that's why what is she trying to say that we're bad at it that's uh life is, i'm definitely is... bad at it okay so the the quick story is that i was playing mlb the show with conscious chris <laughs> at conscious chris fellow youtuber instagrammer vegan running 
in, in a rock band friend. Sure. Jersey Jersey boy. Alternate universe Eric. Alternate well, yeah. this universe, but if Eric was Italian instead of a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and from Jersey, which is just absolutely disgusting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're insulting some people, some well, listeners. I mean, I'm sure Jersey people would say the same thing about Long Islanders, right? Sure. Yeah. So we finished up uh, the best game we've ever played against one another. Riveting. Riveting. And then my con- my second controller died. So my first controller, I have two of them. My first controller died after we had gotten here and I plugged it into the PS4 to charge. And then I used the other one, and then that one died. So I was like, oh, let me switch controllers. Because I was going to play a little bit more by myself. Um, And it was dead. And I'm like, it was charging for like a week. (laughs) It's just been plugged in. Why is it not charged? So then I'm going back and forth. I'm like, huh, neither of them are charging. I'm I'm plugging them into my computer. They're not charging. I'm resetting the controllers. Not charging. Using multiple different micro USB cables. Not charging. So... What do I do? I took the disguise. No, uh, that's an inside joke. What did I do? I bought a new one from Amazon because I'm like, okay, I've had these controllers for almost four years now. Maybe they're just like both busted. Yeah, maybe the batteries died at the exact same time. Who knows? So I bought a new controller, came in the mail today. Right before we were going to do the podcast, I was like, let me just set this up real quick and let it charge and then we can do the podcast. Three hours later. <laughs> it won't charge. Right. I, I don't understand. So I'm testing all these. Ca- I'm like, I have two micro USB cables. They both work. They're charging other things. I'm charging things plugged into the PS4. And I'm like, what are the chances that this brand new controller also is broken? So I find the third micro USB cable we have in rotation. And I'm like, let me try this. Lo and behold, it charges all three of the controllers, the new one and the the two old ones. So what did we learn here? I don't know. (laughs) I haven't learned a lesson because as far as I'm concerned, only one cable we own works when they should all work. What's the lesson? I mean, I personally, here's, here's what I observe about Eric is that he gets so angry Eric has a temper. Actually, you know, you don't have the worst temper of everyone I know. But I don't really have a temper at other people. You develop a temper towards things that can't be changed and towards inanimate objects. <laughs> and it causes and better. I think it I think it frazzles you and it causes you to just like your brain moves a million miles a second and then you don't you don't have this like um slow and systematic testing of of what's going on right so you're just like i need to buy a new computer controller (laughs) new life um yeah anyway what would you have done in that situation as someone who's more level-headed i'm not more level-headed i'm just in these situations i think i am okay so what would you do as someone who's more level-headed i probably would have tested all of the cables all the all the ones we own. Right, because, I stopped at two because I'm like these both work. So well, I just I happen to know that tech. Everyone knows technology is it's just inconsistent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No one knows sometimes why things break the way they they do. So okay. that's just what I would have done. But I also have an aversion to like buying new things if I don't have to. So right, and I thought I had to. 
Now we got to drive 20 minutes to a Coles to return this uh, controller for free. Yeah, if anyone <laughs> out there knows why all Amazon returns go through fucking Coles now, <laughs> out of every, there are four Coles in San Diego, and San Diego's a large place. It's a deal. Yeah, I guess uh, they, they must have they made wanna... some sweet, sweet cash. Exactly. Topic about money. They want to lure you into a Coles, and then they give you a coupon, right? No? They do. To spend at Kohl's. But the problem, <laughs> the thing that they're missing is that Kohl's sucks. And I don't want to shop Is that true? There. No, I don't know. I don't see. See, Eric getting rage filled at. I was. That was. That one was a anime. joke. That one was a joke. But see, you do it so often that I didn't know it was a joke. At least I don't get rage filled at you. Kohl's fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hit you over the head with a Kohl's coupon. So uh, we're going to go to Kohl's tomorrow and, uh, you know, maybe you'll, you'll buy yourself something for your something troubles. Something nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't deserve anything. But that's fine. We'll make our way to a Kohl's. Right. So now that we've spent three hours trying to debug this PlayStation PlayStation situation and also 10 minutes talking about it on the podcast. I think it was entertaining. Shall we do a supporter shout out? I think you're right. And that it is time for our supporter shout out. Nice. Put the clip in there. Okay. It sounds good. Okay. So shout out to our monthly support. I always do it. And then I'm like, okay. So, and then I build it up again. You know? No. <laughs> All right. So thank you and shout out to our monthly supporters, Inga Pfeiffer, Alexis May, Kevin Dooley, Nina Schmidt, Izzy, Anna Dureka, Megan Stewart, and Sarah Creighton. Thank you. So all of those people I just named give a monthly donation to our podcast through Anchor, our hosting platform, and uh, all your donations help us keep making the podcast and affording food and stuff like that. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So let's get into today's topic of money and how it affects us and why why we are the way we are right. with money. We've wanted to do an episode about this for quite a while because like I said earlier, it is such a, it's an important topic. You can't really get through this life and be successful and happy without like, you know, at least an understanding of how money works. And Sarah and I both come from... Very different, uh, how do I even... Backgrounds. Yeah, our relationships with money and how we were raised in that regard are, they were very different. Right, and so much of what we believe comes from just what's modeled to us from our caregivers as children. So do you want to start with that? And I mean, neither of us want to, we're obviously not going to divulge right sensitive information about our family i'd like you to please read out your father's 2012 tax returns oh uh <laughs> well let me start with the social security number and then we'll get into that okay so you're zero one four <laughs> um yeah so let's see we're gonna start with our backgrounds with money yeah. and kind of the way that people around us talked about money Mm -hmm. growing up which then informed our beliefs about money right and we'll try not to offend anyone in the process (laughs) me i mean i i don't not going to speak for you but i'm going to try to not offend anyone i mean i feel like i'm programmed at my core to not offend people or to go out of my way to not offend people so yeah and i'm programmed to say whatever's on my mind and then sarah (laughs) says hey stop the podcast and go back and cut that out because you shouldn't say that (laughs) So, 
Lord, if only our listeners knew what they missed. <laughs> um, okay, so my parents got divorced when I was, I think, six years old. And my sister Lauren and I stayed with my dad and my mom moved out, and which is unconventional, mm. I've heard, because usually the mom stays with the kids. Mm. But there's, you know, there's backstory. Um, so let's see. My dad has always had a successful business. And before the economy went down, <laughs> went down, went down in the dump. Okay, well, in when? like two thousand eight. Okay, um, he was very successful, and we, you know, we got our kitchen redone, and we got a pool installed. <laughs> you know, we were that family, right? Okay. Um, my mom, she. Well, it's interesting because my dad came from that kind of lifestyle as well. Okay. Right, like my grandparents always, we you know we just interviewed grandma and grandpa mm-hmm. for two hours, and grandpa always had a good job. Grandma mm-hmm. worked. Um, my mom's side was kind of they were always kind of struggling, right? Mm-hmm. So she's always had a job ever since we uh, they got divorced, and yeah, but she never had like she was always just fine, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, I, I, she kind of, (laughs) I know you're listening, mom, but she kind of would always say like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't afford that. It was, this is a very, very big difference between both parental figures, Mm -hmm. but I live with my dad. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the neighborhood in which you grew up. The neighborhood in which I grew up didn't have a house that was worth less than a million dollars in it mm-hmm. and a lot of white people yes no diversity whatsoever right on the water um yeah so a lot of same with your school yeah my school was the same way there were i mean i don't know even like the whitest the whitest town there's still it's not like every single person's white but yeah just a wealthy area most of Long Island is wealthy. Right. Okay. What about you? So, okay, yeah, I'll do my piece of that too. It's so, weird like pretending to have this conversation because like we obviously we both know, know the, the other ones. I mean, we haven't really ever sat down and been like, hey, let's talk about money now. Yeah. But these are all like factual things that we probably know about each other. I, so, I feel like, sorry, I feel like before you go, mm-hmm. I feel like part of me wants to like stop and delete that and have me say that whole thing again. But the other part of me likes how uncomfortable I felt and sounded. Do you feel uncomfortable? I just, you can tell while I was saying that, I was just like, I felt weird about talking about one parent having good money and one parent having average money. Okay. I just felt weird about both for different reasons. And I like that I struggled through it because it shows how I truly mm. feel about it. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't like write down on a piece of paper exactly what I wanted to say and say it. I was like, do I talk about, do I talk about the nice neighborhood? Do mm-hmm. I say these things? Right. Well, it's important because all of these little details are really the things that color our experiences. Mm. Um, so I, I'm, my dad's Caucasian. My mom is from a Filipino family. My grandparents are immigrants. And I think that immigrant, that you know, that like stereotypical immigrant mindset, like very thrifty um definitely colored my childhood 
So I, I grew up in Southern California and I would say the area was pretty wealthy, but I was always like conscious of not being wealthy and I was never poor, but we came like my mom was a stay at home mom. We were a single income household. So we had me and my sister and my mom stayed home to care for us and like drive us to school and such. So I think like, I don't know if I was ever like directly told this, but I always was aware that we weren't wealthy. Do you know what I mean? Like we lived in an apartment. We didn't have a, we didn't own a home for until I was in like most of the way through high school. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I had a, I was in a wealthy neighborhood at a, in the wealthy school district. Cause I feel like in this like desert cities area where I grew up, it was very, there's like a lot of cultural diversity, but it's kind of across city borders do you know what I mean so it was like you knew which schools were better or worse and so I went to this this nicer school and I think it like at one point once we moved and my parents did buy a house and we were technically outside of the border for that school like they had to do some sort of paperwork to like like a waiver so I could keep going to that school because that was so important so it was like I was around all these like rich kids who all like they turned 16 and they would get cars and I knew I was never going to get a car. And so I feel like that's my experience is that I we were never like poor, but I think that like immigrant mindset definitely is what I was used to hearing. Like mom's very frugal, you know, and I hear a lot about it. Yeah, we both we both have stereotypical um families in that regard mm-hmm. right jews and asian people are both stereotypical frugal and stereotypically frugal yeah and we both have families that um adhere to those stereotypes mm-hmm. right right so there's so many directions we can go from here but oh ooh, i don't even know where to go really well i just think it's funny that you said like Oh, yeah, like they turned 16 and got a car. And mm-hmm. I like looked around awkwardly because I'm yeah. like, I mean, I was 17 when I got my license, but mm-hmm. uh, that was me. Got a car. Yeah. See, this is this is actually a really good um, topic because I feel as if um, so the way you think about wealth and people who have money definitely influences what your capability to earn. Right. Because. I mean, I have I've spent so many years researching like financial material from like all sorts of different perspectives. So there's this like very uh, like Dave Ramsey kind of like kind of perspective where it's just like here are the steps you need to take, like very like practical steps to accumulate wealth. Right. And then there's the more like Tony Robbins kind of like spiritual approach Mm. to it. Right. And so, like, um, I feel like one of the books that's really popular now or was a couple years back was um, You're a Badass at Making Money. Have you seen that book? It's like this bright green book by Jen Sincero, which I read. I didn't love it. Um, I feel like sometimes those spiritually minded, I mean, you guys know I'm like very woo woo, but like some books, I feel like they're so spiritual and so feel good that they really lack substance. And that personally, like, that's how that book felt for me. Okay. But maybe it's because by that time, I already read so many books like that, that kind of just pump you up. So I, I've spent a lot of time listening to more spiritual perspectives on money. 
And what a lot of people will say is, um, you know, you hear all of these things about how like money is the root of all evil and money doesn't grow on trees. And like, I feel like there's a lot of disdain sometimes for people who have wealth. And I feel like sometimes that's kind of a defense mechanism that people who have less money, like myself, right, kind of developed to feel better about not having money. So I remember kind of feeling like disdainful towards the kids who would get like nice cars at high, in high school. And I always made it this like sense of, I had this like sense of pride for having come from less. Do you know what I mean? But when you like now I'm like I'm 29 right and when you carry that kind of disdain towards people who have money your entire life you you come to realize like why would you subconsciously subconsciously you're not gonna let yourself achieve something that you believe makes you a bad person right yeah because then you assume that you're gonna be that bad person Mm -hmm. so so it's interesting. It's it's like I feel like I was used to like for example my my family would play the lottery, like my mom said, right? And it's almost like we didn't have any model. This is a topic that we've talked about a lot on the podcast is having these expanders, these people who have something that you want, something that you're aspiring to but that you can relate to. So that your subconscious believes that it's possible for you. And I, we really didn't have those. So it was like, even when you think about how improbable it is that you might win the lottery, but that feeling more probable than building your own wealth, isn't that insane? Yeah, and it's it's making me laugh because <laughs> I'm just realizing that my mom has also pl- always played the lotto. And I don't, I've never witnessed my dad purchase a lotto ticket Mm -hmm. because my, he's always been comfortable. Right. And whereas my mom hasn't. Mm -hmm. Also, my mom just bought a house. She like, she just, like, she just texted me about this. (laughs) Congrats, mom. Yeah. And Yo-Yo. And and Yo-Yo, of course. (laughs) Yo-Yo's penthouse. She's officially, she officially has to live in Denver for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was that was interesting. Can we go back to the car thing for one second? Mm-hmm. So it, it it was interesting hearing you say, "You're like, oh, I knew I wasn't getting a car," mm-hmm. and I was like, "I got a car," and mm-hmm. I want you to bookmark this so I can talk about it right after. But it was only a 2008 Toyota Toyota Rav4, mm-hmm. and this is in 2011. All right, bookmark right. why I said that. Okay, so I was one of those kids, but one of my close friends, when he turned 17, he got an Audi. Yeah. So it's like, like, sure, like I got a car, but like other kids get Audis. Like they're all different levels of wealth. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I I got a Toyota. Sure. But okay. So there was this one kid I remember who got an Escalade, which was pretty funny. Mm. Um, But like. So stupid. Usually they crash them. (laughs) But can you just observe what just happened though? Like even like you got a car, right? And then you're talking to me who didn't get a car. And there's still, we have this like tendency to be like, well, I only got a Toyota. So I'm a, do you know what I mean? Like well, that's there's this association to... of, you know, like having less with like being more ethical for some. And it's like very 
weird and very American. Do you know what I mean? So when I said book market, that's what I meant. I wanted you to bring that topic up mm-hmm. and you just, did you just naturally do that? Or did you know that's what, that's what I meant? Oh, I don't know. I think, okay. So that's what I wanted to get into because there is this like, oh, well, I, you know, I don't have that much money. Don't like, I don't know why we wouldn't be proud of it. Necessarily. Right. I, I think it's because like we view wealthy people as evil all the time. Yeah. And like, it's not just it's not because they have money all the time like we don't hate like the walton family and bezos just because they're rich Mm -hmm. like there are other problems with them i guess it's like we like bill gates to be fair i do think a lot of people don't like them because they're rich yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) right business practices aside other things yeah yeah um but you know we talked about this so i bought this new i bought this new audio interface like months and months ago in the spring it's a uh universal audio apollo twin mm-hmm. and it costs a thousand dollars and i sarah pointed out to me that when i was telling people that i bought it i always i would say to them oh yeah i bought the apollo twin well don't worry i financed it mm-hmm. so like i'm only paying like 50 dollars a month for like the rest of my life right <laughs> and sarah's like why are you why do you keep and i'm like i don't i don't know why i keep I keep concluding the, hey, I bought this with that footnote. Right. And it's because I don't want to be like, yeah, I just dropped $1,000 on it. Mm-hmm. Flex. Yeah. So isn't it interesting? Because like, especially like the world is like very plugged into social media now. And so it's like on the one hand, there's this like flexing culture. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's showing their nice cars and their nice clothing and they're like fancy they're nice audio interfaces. <laughs> right like the the whole um the like the highly curated like lifestyle and everyone's like oh everyone's showing just a highlight reel but then at the same time in on the same platforms there's this like i i don't know like you can't re- i wouldn't feel comfortable like flexing if i bought a really nice car or I don't, it's just weird. It's like, I find myself constantly, because it's some, even though I'm aware of it, right? This whole thing that, where I was kind of conditioned to associate wealth with like, not even evil, straight up evil, but just like, oh, these wealthy kids, these high schoolers who are like going on vacations to Turks and Caicos with their family. You know what I mean? Like I would set myself apart from them and be like, oh, they're so spoiled. They're so entitled not really knowing anything about them, right? There's entitled people on every level of financial success, right? But even when I realized I was doing that and realized that it was affecting my relationship with money and my ability to uh, earn and maintain wealth, it's so deeply ingrained that it like I really find myself having to like actively work on it, like call myself out when I'm doing it. Like I remember I, I'd, and this is another thing, like women I think are catty, right? So quite often. So it's like, I would always be like proud of myself that I didn't spend a lot of money on like getting my nails done or like getting my hair done. I'd always be like, Oh, I'm a solo maintenance. And like, that felt virtuous to me. So I'm like learning like there's no fundamental like goodness or badness to money. Money is just a tool really. And like what we do with it is the good or bad. 
Yeah. And I, we shouldn't, like, we shouldn't feel bad about being like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I sold my base before we moved uh, to California and I needed a new one. So I spent $300 on a base. Mm. It's like, I shouldn't need to, oh, well, you know, it was just $300. Like, there are a lot of bases that cost more. Mm-hmm. Like, I shouldn't need to, I should just be like, yeah, thankfully, I, you know, I know how to, I feel like I'm good with money, so I could, I want, I want slash need this thing for my studio, so I'm going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be like a, uh, a whole, a whole thing. Right. Right. Another thing. So there's this, um, I feel like this trend is kind of past, but earlier along in the quarantine, maybe even last, like at the end of last year is when it started. A lot of YouTubers were making videos where it's like, this is what I spend in a week as a something year old living in the city. So this is what I spend in a week living as a 24 year old in NYC, whatever. And they literally just report all of their expenses for the week. And I was noticing like, I I would read the comments, right? And uh, side note, YouTube comments are the worst. (laughs) Literal cancer. Um, Yeah. But it was just like, there's this echelon of YouTuber, like royalty, you know? They all live in, like, New York, or a lot of them live in L.A. You mean, but like, they just the David live, Dobrik sort? Yeah. And they all live, they have these very high standards of living, right? They have nice cars. They all have, like, a lot of the women have cosmetic procedures done that they'll talk about, which is cool, because I'd much rather women talk about the things they're having done than pretend that it's all naturally attainable. But. You're saying their large lips and butts aren't natural? <laughs> I mean, in some cases, I'm sure they are. But, you know, like, and a lot of them will talk about this, right? It's like LA is kind of reported to be a place where superficial things matter a lot more, right? Because it's like the heart of like Hollywood, like the film and music industry. So I'd read comments under these women's videos and it's just like people would be like, oh, well, that's more than I make in a year, what you spent in a week. Or, like, I don't know. It's just, like, all of the, like, most upvoted comments were from people talking about how they have no money, right? So, again, it's, like, having less is... Virtuous, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, when really it's, like, I I mean, I, I, I can understand if it's, like, someone... I don't know. It feels a lot. Feels a lot more virtuous of the wealthy person mm-hmm. when they like really work for something. Like, yeah. oh, I built this thing by myself. It. I, I can understand that sentiment. Se- sentiment. Mm-hmm. Is that the word? Mm-hmm. Not sent. Okay. Sentiment. Sentiment. <laughs> sentiment. Sentiment. I can understand that sentiment <laughs> when it's like, I, I don't know, if someone has like a a very wealthy family and they just like are born and they're rich for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And they're like, look at all these things. I can understand someone in the comments being like, right. uh, I hate you for that. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, some something it was making me think of was I feel like, <laughs> so Sarah always jokes with me and says, you're the most spoiled boy I've ever met. <laughs> Usually it's because. I'm like, will you will you massage me for five more minutes tonight? And she's like, you're the most spoiled person I've ever met. <laughs> but when it comes to spoilage, I feel like my dad did a very good job of 
like providing for us and you know but like i said we had a pool and a cabana and mm-hmm. we had those freaking underneath our kitchen tiles there was a heater so in the winter, you could adjust the heater so your feet didn't get cold in the tile, mm. right? We were that kind of family. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't feel. What was what was the um, example from the other day? It might have, might have been like four or five days ago, mm. where I think it was someone on YouTube that we didn't know, but I basically said to you, I was like, "Yeah, my dad would never just give me money." Mm-hmm. to like live on if i didn't want to oh uh, do you remember what i'm talking yeah, about I do, but i'm not gonna okay i don't remember <laughs> what it was but basically I, I i've just been thinking about how he did teach me to be very good with money and mm-hmm. to earn my own money yeah like he could have if if i wanted a new instrument as a child he could have just given me the money to buy it but instead he'd make me clean the pool mm-hmm. for like 20 minutes once a week Mm -hmm. and give me like 20 bucks right you know and like eventually i could buy the thing and sure it helped him out but i was basically useless doing chores Mm -hmm. like cleaning the pool but i don't know i feel like he taught me to be very he didn't just i wasn't we weren't just spoiled kids Mm -hmm. like i still understand that you have to have a job and stuff right right so, yeah, this is a good place to pivot, I feel, because... Um, did, totally did that on purpose. <laughs> right. Well, when you've given that example, you've told me about this in the past, too. And I remember my dad giving me similar opportunities to earn money. Like, I'm, I've always been really good at writing and really good at, like, design. And my dad worked in... Um, he would sell wine and spirits to restaurants. He was a, a wine supplier. So... Is that a sommelier? Or no. That's different. That's just a status. He he did have some way a status, but huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you'll have that's to explain of, that to me. That's after. kind of like um you can get like um a certificate of of that status. It just means that you have a certain level of expertise when it comes to wine. Right? Oh, I thought it was a job. I thought it was a position. I mean it probably is. Oh, but cool. okay. Thanks. Yeah. So um he would do like he would sometimes offer he had relationships with different restaurant owners and sometimes he would offer to redo their menus and stuff and then if you guys have ever been into a liquor store and like been browsing around and there are these little cards like stuck to the shelves which kind of explain like how many points different wines have and wine spectator and different tasting notes and such and my dad would make those for the wines that he supplied to them and he used to have me like he would like give me the information and i'd type it up and format it and make it look nice and i'd print them out for him and laminate them and cut them right and you'd be like well i'll give you this much money for it and i remember like even at a very young age feeling this like um resistance to taking money for doing work and i don't i honestly i don't know where i learned this but for i feel like a lot of our audience is women and i feel like women's relationship with money is very conflicted because for so much of history men really have been the breadwinners even the women have a lot of the spending power because and for a lot of time women kind of controlled the household budget i feel like a lot of us don't have um examples again expanders of like women who make money so i grew up in a household where my mom didn't work right and my dad worked and he had he made all the money and 
the only like close personal example I had of a woman making money was my mom's sister, my aunt. And she's kind of like the black sheep of the family. Do you know what I mean? And I think I, it's just hard when you, your brain is just so sophisticated. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and sometimes, Even mine. sometimes like to your detriment, it will make associations that aren't really uh, useful for you. So I feel like I like a lot of women um, kind of grow up idolizing their moms and for the longest time, I just thought I wanted to grow up and be a stay-at-home mom. And I, and it, it was so deeply ingrained, even as I was, like, going to Stanford and, like, getting educated. And I never really knew what I wanted to do. And I would just change my course of study to whatever the person I was dating was studying. Because that was how little, like, I identified with being, like, career-driven. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like even though I wasn't consciously thinking about it for the longest time, like maybe even up to like 24, I was just like holding out for a man who would allow me to just run the home. Do you know what I mean? And here I am (laughs) not being that person (laughs) at all. Right. Can I, yeah. Can I just drop something quick that came to mind Mm -hmm. about women and men and their relationships with money? Mm -hmm. I learned this a few years ago. When I asked for a promotion at my job, I just, I called a meeting with our CFO and I said, hey, I want a raise. Mm-hmm. And he told me, statistically, one of the reasons women are less likely to be in a position of power at their workplace mm-hmm. is because they don't ask for promotions. Yeah. Well, I mean, they ask for promotions far less often than men do. Mm-hmm. And I just like, that like blew my mind. Right. And I'm not saying that's any good reasoning for women not being in a position of power mm-hmm. because it's obviously a failure of the system that well, it's, f- makes women feel uh, unable to ask for a promotion. I feel like it goes further than that. It's like very cultural. It's very much like and I think like as time passes, I just feel like that our society is changing so much and women are learning to become more forthright about what they want. Well, there's a lot of like bad bitch energy yeah in culture now that just good. didn't that wasn't around when we were i was growing up you know yeah and so yeah so i feel that way i've never it, it's always been extremely difficult for me to price my services as someone who like i'm essentially like a freelancer really i do make ad revenue but most of my income comes from work i do with brands and they ask for my rate kit and it's always been extremely difficult for me to price my my work because I've always felt like I don't know it's it's really insane. <laughs> there's a lot there's not a lot of transparency about what people uh, charge. First mm-hmm. off, I don't really it's not again because money is not something people really talk about. And again, we won't talk about it right now. Right. Um, but. There have been cases where, like, money has given me so much anxiety, and having this conversation about what my work costs costs me such so much anxiety that I've just like straight up not responded to emails about different work opportunities because I didn't want to ask for money. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, it's funny because I'm the exact opposite. 
Mm-hmm. I was like a 12-year-old little shithead. My dad's like, I'll give you 20 bucks to uh, clean the pool this Sunday, mm-hmm. and then you'll, you'll be one step closer to buying that new guitar. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, make it 25, and you got yourself a deal. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> so I have like the exact opposite. Right. Um, I wouldn't call it a problem. Which is great, because if we both had the same problem, we'd both be dirt poor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's an example. Mm-hmm. I, I've been, you know, I've been getting, I, I've been getting a solid amount of, I've been getting freelance music gigs in at, at, a, at a higher frequency, right? So I decided, okay, I have to, I have to increase my hourly rate when I charge people to do work because I, if I'm, if I'm going to be getting offered or if people are going to be asking for my work, I I'm, I'm have to, I have to charge more because I don't have time, right? So I did that and I adjusted my rates on Fiverr. And then I got this, this person asked me, hey, will you make a 20-minute instrumental track for me? Which is, I've never done that, right? What I offer online is just 30 seconds or one-minute theme songs. So, so this person was like, oh, 20 minutes. She was like, what do you charge for that? And I was like, you know, I don't know because I've never done that. So I had to figure it out. And I said to Sarah, I was like, okay. So I took my hourly rate and I multiplied it by how much I th- or how long I think it'll take. And I gave her that number. And Sarah was like, how did you? Oh, oh, right. Yeah, you can just ask for things. I forgot. <laughs> and I was like, yes. I don't even consider that other people can't do that well except for you because i am so familiar with your um Mm -hmm. brain right and i and i think a large part of it it's partly because of the way i was what i associate with being a woman and also my culture like i feel like asian cultures very collectivistic very not wanting to intrude or ask too much or take too many of the like the collective's resources and I, again, like I've always associated like requiring less as virtuous. Like, so I, a couple months ago. Are we talking about Krogies? Right. I collaborated with Kroger, which is a national brand. And they asked me for my rate. And it took me like three days to respond because I was so anxious about it. Did I make you respond for me? Not it, that time, right? This is the first time. Yeah. No, you did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... When I finally gave them my rate, first off, random story, we like, um, we set up our tent, our two person tent in our living room. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we like camped out in our living room. I don't know why. It was like middle of the quarantine and things were weird and we were watching K dramas and stuff. (laughs) Things were weird. So, so we were like, let's camp out in the middle of the living room. But, um, I, for some reason, I spent to like 3 a.m. like drafting this like proposal for Kroger. Eric was asleep. And I think I got so stressed about it that like my stomach literally like I felt so ill. After I finished this proposal and sent it to them, I like lay down on the couch like in fetal position and just felt so sick. Um, But when I was I she just asked for my rate and for like a concept And what I wrote was like this extremely long email about all of the different things that I was going to deliver, which was way more than I needed to, 
I know now, but I just, I just, it was, I don't know. It's just such a difficult topic to understand because when Eric asks for certain amounts of money for his work, sorry if you can hear in uh It's a very loud airplane, airplane going by. Right. You probably can't hear it though. I never judge other people for asking for a lot of money for their work. It's just me. Like I, I just associate and I know that I do good work, especially when I'm being paid for it. Like I really do. I think deliver high quality work. I'm kind of a perfectionist. And for some reason, I just always feel like not only am I going to ask for too much and then they're just going to like think that I'm a bad person but then I'll, instead of like negotiating down, they'll just completely walk away from the deal. Do you know what I mean? Which wouldn't happen. No one would ever be like, I really want to work with you. But since you asked for a little too much, forget, forget about it. Do you know what I mean? But that's where my brain goes when it comes to money. And I just don't. It's crazy. And then for me, I'll sometimes be making a theme song and I'll be like, this sucks. This is absolutely <laughs> garbage. And Sarah's like, oh, are you going to start over? I'm like, no, I'm going to send it to them. And you're like, what? Why? If you don't like it. And I'm like, because usually they like it. I've just, I've learned that like I can make stuff that if I, sometimes I don't like it that much, but the client, it's perfect for them. And I don't understand. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, if we're, if we're making music, I want it to be perfect because it has to be perfect for Mm -hmm. us. Yeah. Right. Cause no one's, I mean, yeah, it's our music. So it has to be perfect. So I'll, I'll just send the theme song and be like, you know, I think it's trash, but but, <laughs> but if, they, if they like it, then it's the perfect theme song for them. And if right. they don't like it, they'll tell me and that's, I do revisions, mm-hmm. right? And then I'll change it. Right. So I'm kind of like uh, the opposite in that way also. Mm-hmm. So I have two like little, uh, what's the word? Little morals of the story here. Little like distillations of this like particular topic. If you guys are kind of like me and you're struggling to price your work or ask for money and it makes you really uncomfortable. Ask me to do it for you. Ask your New York boyfriend to do it. (laughs) Your shameless boyfriend. (laughs) No, okay, so here's, well, here's the thing. It's it's runs so deep with me that even when I have Eric do it, it makes me anxious. Are we going to talk about the the second Krogies? Right. Well, let me say this first because this is like the uh, TLDR sort of thing. It's not your job to tell people how to value your work right this kind of goes back to this topic that we keep revisiting is that if you have a talent or a skill other people get to decide what it's worth to them not you because you'll almost always undervalue your talent because you take it for granted you just it's something that you're good at but people are paying you to do it because they can't or it's not worth their time or you can do it better and if you weren't good at it people wouldn't be asking you to do it exactly right i can't i can't develop recipes and take beautiful footage and make delicious things so kroger doesn't ask me to make a video for them. <laughs> they're asking you for a reason mm-hmm. so you get to decide the like the bottom of what's what's the word for this sometimes i'm not good with the words. floor the floor price right like the lowest you'll take but if someone is willing if if someone deems your work more valuable than you'd ask for it it's not your job to convince them otherwise you don't have to i find myself wanting to negotiate down for myself 
Um, Which absolutely drives me insane. Right. And and like it, it takes a while to get to the point where I am with these things where and I'll just candidly use numbers because it, it doesn't really have an effect on me. Mm-hmm. But for this project that I'm referring to that I'm doing, this person set their budget at $1,000 mm-hmm. and I charge them 500 just based on how long I think it would take, right? So sure, I could have been like, oh, I mean, in my head, okay, I was only going to charge you 500 but if you're saying your budget's 1000 then I'm just going to charge you 1000 mm-hmm. right? What Sarah said to me was, well, yeah, I mean, like, just well, <laughs> basically it was like, oh, well, what if I end up like not working as many hours I thought as I thought like what do I do and you were like oh well if you feel like you're ripping them off like if it's that much of a price difference then like bring it up and figure something out but you're like if it's only a mild price difference and you don't feel like you're ripping them off if you feel like you still deserve that mm-hmm. then just take it it's fine but it takes a while to get to that point of being comfortable with right asking for things yeah I mean your job you, creator, listener, <laughs> offerer of services and goods, like your job is to excel at what you do and to deliver a product or service that you believe in. And, right, the market is going to determine what you get paid for it, really. Um, so, which brings us to like kind of the next part of the story, right? So, I collaborated with Kroger several months ago. And I got paid for that more than I had gotten paid for any other project up to that point, I believe. Yes. Um, And then they approached me several months later to do like a longer term kind of like um, multi-part collaboration. They're like, okay, well, what's your proposed rate? And... (laughs) Eric ended up writing this email for me and I was like stress cooking or cleaning the kitchen while he was writing it. But he asked for essentially a certain times what I, my rate for the first project, right? Well, I, I asked you, what did you get paid for the first thing? Right. And, and you, you just multiplied me. it by approximately the amount of work more that I'd be doing. Right. They were like, oh, well, we want four of these this time. So right. I was like, okay, I'll just multiply it by four and ask for that. And I, I was like, up. well, I should give them a discount because they're giving me more work, right? And I said, Like it's more I, guaranteed work. And I said, no, if they want to discount, they'll say, They'll say, okay, we took the number you gave us, but because it's guaranteed work, then they'll come back and they'll tell you, mm-hmm. well, it should be a little, okay, fine, we'll take that. But I was like, I'm just going to highball them and see what they say. It wasn't even highball. It wasn't, it wasn't a highball. You're right. It was exactly the multiplication of the mm-hmm. first project. Okay, so here's another piece of this that I want you guys to understand, which I'm still kind of... Um, you know, there's this point at which you understand something intellectually and then it, it takes some time to get into your like cellular memory where you're like, yes, this feels good. This feels natural. I believe it through and through. It doesn't feel uncomfortable for me to ask for this much or whatever. Okay. So you should price things at a number that feels comfortable, like just a little bit uncomfortable, right? You don't want to price things or ask for so much that you're like, that's fucking ridiculous, right? <laughs> no one would pay that. So I recommend going like a little bit above your comfort level, right? And people will push back if they feel they need to. But if they don't, then it's worth it to them. So what I've learned by just like going with like accepting that discomfort and asking for this for a little bit more. And then I go through like having that um, 
anchor in my mind, that price anchor, it makes me work harder because I know that I need to deliver even more. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I always do good work, but I feel like, I mean, for example, there are some clients I've worked with and I they haven't increased my rate in years, right? And it's not like a fun experience for me. And it's just, it feels like a chore and I don't look forward to it, but I do it. I do it to the best of my ability. But on the, on the few occasions where I've worked for more money than I'm typically comfortable asking for, I've really busted my ass. And over the course of completing that project, I'll be, I'll like say to Eric, like, yes, this is definitely worth what I asked for. And there are other times where you've literally said to me well i should have gotten paid more for that <laughs> right and so it's Which like is really now after having this conversation that's really a, a that's progress really right for you to even say that to me mm-hmm. yeah and but the, what i'm saying is that if you're not willing to ask for more you're not going to you're probably not going to push yourself more because you're not going to have the sensation of growth if you're stagnating in in your wealth right or your, st- your rates have stagnated. And the only way for you... Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you just have to have that experience. Like, you have to run into things. And you have to go by how things make you feel. And I think that's a really good example of, like... You also can't get complacent mm-hmm. with just assuming you're going to do great quality work. Right? Like, I... On my Fiverr, I've gotten one review that was under five stars. And it was like 4.3 or something, mm-hmm. right? And it was mostly a communication issue right? because we spoke different languages. <laughs> but it's like I could be like, oh, well, I, you know, I get five stars every time. So I can just like, I don't even have to try anymore because mm-hmm. then then you'll start you'll start delivering subpar quality work. Right. But, you know, I've, I've had people message me back and forth like a dozen messages each about doing a project and then they they're like okay i'm ready to place an order but you know i notice it's you know it's this much for this theme song like i could like there that's too expensive for me mm-hmm. and i'm like okay what do you want to do about it they're like well you know there's this other guy that, that does it for half that mm-hmm. and i'm like it's not going to be as good so if you don't <laughs> want to pay for it by all means don't right and like that's that's fine with me i'm not gonna i'm mm-hmm. not gonna sell myself short and give you something for half the price mm-hmm was what, what does that what does that do for me right so now like if we go back into you know i said like there's a spectrum of like very concrete financial advice to like very woo woo financial advice and this is like very i mean it's both but this is like very woo territory here and it's like money is an energetic exchange right money's energy exchanges of money are exchanges of energy it's not appropriate it, it, no one's going to benefit from any sort of like monetary exchange where one person feels ripped off. Mm. So if you are providing your services to someone who isn't valuing them in the same way that you are, just because it, it's not beneficial. Yeah. And let me just say this big project I'm doing now, this is the same person. I think I mentioned this last week. This Mm -hmm. is the same person that they overpaid for, so they're on their first project with me. They Mm -hmm. overpaid and I was like, oh, let's cancel the order and you can choose the cheaper price because you're overpaying. Mm -hmm. They were like, no, 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 I I think you're I think it's worth it. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, great. 
Great. You, you value my work and that's that feels good and i value our project mm -hmm. that much more now right because you trust me so let's so what happened with the kroger thing this is crazy okay so you guys i've talked about the podcast uh expanded podcast before but they talk a lot it's not just about finances but she does a lot of um content about like spirituality and finance or wealth accumulation and she talks a lot about how you earn wealth in proportion to your sense of self-worth rather than just like there's that other kind of like new age model where it's just like, oh, law of attraction, just think positive thoughts, just like envision a wealthy life and like feel good about the thing like this money you spend and you'll accumulate more wealth. And I'm like, you know, that's part of it, right? You should definitely have like a you should have positive associations when you think about spending right um what was i saying <laughs> uh kroger right okay so <laughs> what do you feel uncomfortable uh oh no no i was trying to remember where i was going with it oh okay, okay so something that they talk a lot about on that podcast the host name is lacy by the way um so lacy talks a lot about these things called tests which is where the universe will kind of test you to make sure that once you've established that you're worth something are you actually going to live in integrity with that or are you gonna and this is with not just money and career but also with like relationships so it's like i feel like relationships are a good way to um it's like a good way to give examples because it's very relatable and money and relationships are very intertwined i feel right because they're both matters of self-worth so it's like if you're dating and you keep finding men who are like emotionally unavailable or whatever and you finally reach this breaking point and you're like, I'm not going to date emotionally unavailable men anymore. So you've raised your bar for self-worth. You're going to get a test where you're going to meet someone who is like all of these things on your list, but they're emotionally unavailable. And then this is where the universe is like, well, are you going to make an exception? Because you're going to like try to convince yourself that all these other positive aspects are like enough to kind of offset that. Or are you actually going to stand in your worth and let something else come along? Right. It happens with money, too. So it's like Eric sent that email for me <laughs> and weeks pass. And I'm like fuck we like scared them we're, away we're <laughs> right i'm like they just they were they thought it was so absurd this amount of money that i asked for that not only did they not want to work with me but they didn't even think it was worthy of a response right and they had sent one email yes we're we're running it we're running the numbers basically right you know mm -hmm. and i'm like well if they were if they wanted to deny you that they wouldn't have sent that email they would have just said no mm-hmm so we were just waiting. We're like, uh, okay. Right. But in this time, this is a test, right? Because there were many times during this period of a few weeks where I was like, I need to email them and follow up and say that I'm willing to take less money. Like, I'm, I, I, hey, I just wanted to follow up, let you know that I, I'm so excited about working with them that I'll be flexible. Like, I'm, I'm happy to be flexible with the my quote or I'll add these extra like pieces these extra deliverables to you and every time that came up again because i had worked with them before and worked really fucking hard and delivered a good product and i was proud of what i made i was like 
no, like if I do that, then I'm going to feel salty about it because I know I'm going to be getting paid less than what I know it's worth. And I said, this is a test. This is like, <laughs> if, if they don't want to pay this amount, then it's not the right project for me. And then like shortly after we moved in here, they followed up and they were like, not only <laughs> this is so crazy. Also, like when I never mind, um, people listening are like, can you please just tell me what happened? So they followed up. They were like, oh, hey, sorry, we were, you know, doing whatever. Sorry, it took so long to get back to you. But they actually want these extra deliverables. And for that, we can give you this much extra money. So they gave me they offered me what I asked for plus more. Which more is absurd. people. OK, so and this is. This is important because I've been, I I feel like being self-employed is a pretty big milestone for me because again, I came from, I had no model of what it looked like to be an employed woman, let alone a self-employed woman who runs her own home business, right? Who gets offers from the largest grocery uh, uh, chain in the country <laughs> and says, actually, we want to give you more money. Sure. So there's that, like the part where like, oh, hey, I'm proud of myself because I run my own, I'm self-employed now. Cool. And, but th- then there's like, I've been doing this for years and my income has been very static since I started. It's, it's very interesting because I started making money right around the time I needed to move to Boulder to be with Eric. <laughs> Right. So I, that's when I started making enough money to live off of um, from my YouTube. And then it just kind of like leveled off. Right. And this happens a lot, I feel like, because money is very. It's it's very psychological. Right. Your earning potential is very like engraved in your psyche. But isn't it interesting that like as soon as I decided I needed to be able to have this amount of money from work, from my YouTube, so that I could move to a new state, I made it happen. And then I didn't, quote unquote, need to make any more money. So I didn't. And now I'm like, well, in order to accomplish what we want to with our music project, we really, I do need to make more money from Sarah's Vegan Kitchen for less work. <laughs> and right? So that I need are. to, I need to multiply my earnings so that I can have more free time to work on these other projects, which don't make me money yet. And now that's what's happening. It's like, it just, it's like, it's really a mind fuck. <laughs> that's why when people say like, write down your goals. Mm-hmm. It's not just, it's, there's a reason for that right you you need to have a destination Mm -hmm. right it's like you you can't just i don't i can't even think of an analogy right it's like taking a road trip and just driving around on interstate highways Mm -hmm. so uh, also i'm aware that not everyone is self-employed and so some people are operating off of a salary or an hourly wage and so i feel like a lot of people are like, well, that's not an option for me. But I just want to remind, this kind of goes back to our last episode about redefining what's possible, is that sometimes if you can kind of step away from what you believe you know is true, 
different possibilities happen. So a couple years ago, I was working at Starbucks and I was making $14 an hour. And I already had a college degree at the time. I had a degree from Stanford, right? And I had such a fucked up relationship with money. Again, because I, I think subconsciously, I just always thought that my money would come from a man, like the person I was in a relationship with. And so I was in this relationship with someone who made a lot of money who never had like all of the psychological baggage around money as I did just like graduated and the first job he was making a hundred thousand dollars you know but like rest assured there were other issues (laughs) right (laughs) but but like here's the thing is that I was so I felt someone deserving of money that like we had a shared account and I would not touch any of his money and I just felt it was like it was like if you and if I had a lot of money, right? If I was like a millionaire and you made what you make now, what I make would be yours too. Do you know what I mean? Like I would feel uncomfortable being like, "Oh, I'm going to Right, you're not going to go buy, buy yourself you a Benz, but right. But like it's so funny. that's you, like you listed something that's $100,000 and I listed <laughs> something that's $70. Right. But it's just like I just felt like not only did I make less money than him, so I was like less valuable in the relationship but like i wouldn't accept gifts i wouldn't accept like everything i just wanted to split everything in half it is just crazy like to think that was he like oh yeah you can yeah he didn't care like we had a joint account right and i don't know it's just hard it's weird to think about like how much of a complex i had about it back then um, but also at the time, like, all of the utilities were under his name. He had a credit card. I didn't, like, because I'd kind of been raised to believe that you shouldn't use credit, which is funny because, like, our entire financial system in the U.S. operates on credit. Yeah, you, you know, can't you can't, like, you apply for an apartment without a credit score. So I think I got my first credit card 2016. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So... There's I, that. I got my first credit card in 2015 and I'm three years younger. Than you. <laughs> yeah. So it's just crazy to and see. That's why it's like a huge problem because both people in a relationship need to be on the same page about it. Even if they have different beliefs, like you have to understand why I have the complexes I do and vice versa, because I had all those feelings about money. And he didn't understand and also didn't try to understand. So he was like, well, I don't know why you, you like won't spend money or just like all of these things. And it was just like a big rift and it felt very contentious. You so know? if if our OK, let's say the roles. Let's say our relationship was like that. Mm-hmm. And into our joint account, I put one hundred dollars in for every 10 you put in. Right. Yeah. So 10 times more. Mm-hmm. Would you spend it now? I would spend our joint money on things that we both consume. I mean, so you'd be, you'd feel more comfortable now than you did in that relationship. Um, maybe I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, because just it's a different situation. Yeah, because I just were closer. You and I. That's <laughs> very true. But I, I just felt like I was in a very like class. It was weird because we were both working and working the same hours but because he was making so much more money than i did i also felt like i needed to 
it was like I was assigning an hourly rate to everything I did in life. So I was like, okay, so because I only make $14 an hour, I'm going to come home and I'm going to do all the cleaning and I'm going to do both of our laundries and I'm going to do all the grocery shopping and all the cooking. You're going to work time and a half. Exactly. So I was like assigning this like crazy, I don't know, implicit financial value to all of my work. And I felt like I needed to work extra hard to like earn being in the same household. Do you have any idea what like $100,000 comes out to as an hourly rate if you were making $14 at Starbucks? How much is that? I don't know. I really don't know. I have absolutely no idea. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we could figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, that is very interesting. Right. And you know, something something I've learned recently having conversations with you about it, it's like coming from the the family I came from isn't without its own hangups, mm-hmm. right? Like I my my parents can give me all the advice they want about money and finances and my grandparents, right? Everyone. Mm-hmm. But none of them have ever become successful doing what I'm trying to be successful at, mm-hmm. right? No one's like, no one's a, a, a famous musician in my family, mm-hmm. right? So like, it's, it's, there's this own, I have, I have my own very special like way of blocking myself from becoming successful doing what i'm doing because i feel like i'm not doing the right thing sometimes mm-hmm. i'm like well you know i can't be successful doing this i just have to stop everything and get another job at a place and work my way up the ladder and you know i make a hundred thousand dollars a year eventually because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's what i that's the only thing i've experienced right right mm-hmm. so Okay, so this has been a long episode, and there's. I feel like we need, maybe need to have a part two with mm-hmm. like actual. Maybe we'll like go through and write down like our lessons, okay. like a neat and condensed version of like what we've learned and what we recommend, because this part has mostly been about like our background with money and and relationship with it psychologically, emotionally, mm-hmm. um, which I think is an important thing to talk about because you don't know these like. You only know what you know, right? You only, you've only had your experience with money. And it's important to talk about these things because it just helps you understand money for what it is and not... It's, it's just such a loaded term for each of us. And most of what you are, good or bad, comes mm-hmm. from how you were raised. So Yes. So there's that. So... Um, and the reason I'm saying we should have a part two is because I feel like I've been I've been learning a lot lately about like the more practical things like investment and budgeting and such. I've always been very resistant to having a budget. I think because like because I came from this background where I didn't really make an allowance and I didn't have my own money to spend as a kid. Um and I always felt like some degree of scarcity like as soon as I started making my own money like in college, you know, working at a library, I kind of like went crazy. And I like, I don't know, I feel like I, it took me many years of like kind of excessively consuming before I was like, oh, well, you, I don't need to buy a bunch of shit just to kind of rebel against my like background or where I came from, you know? You can be frugal and still feel wealthy you know what i mean like you you can can be you can live a frugal life or a minimalistic life and buy very intentionally and not feel poor right and you can live frugally purchase intentionally in order to further advance Mm -hmm. your cause yeah right like if i 
if I didn't make any big purchases, I wouldn't be making the stuff I make now, mm-hmm. right? Because the things, I mean, at least me being in a creative field, the things I've spent a lot of money on are tools to boost mm-hmm. my creativity, Yeah, right? A new guitar, a new interface, things that make me really excited about making more stuff. Right. And when you're creative and your job is being creative, when you make more stuff, you make more money. Right. And that's in a whole different topic, right? There's a difference between, like, there's this fine line between, like, investing in yourself in a good way, but also, like, using the fact that you need to buy more shit as an excuse to, like, that's why I'm not going to start yet. Like, I'm not going to start my YouTube channel until I have this nice setup and a green screen and, like, all this shit. You know what I mean? So it's, like, definitely um, it's a tightrope to walk there. But yeah, investing I mean, in yourself is certainly very important. If your favorite YouTuber has a $13,000 gear setup <laughs> you don't i i understand that it's hard to to not want mm-hmm. to also do that but i mean obviously starting any project like that takes you have to invest something in it but mm-hmm. you know you start with like i'll buy the 300 hundred dollar camera mm-hmm. and then you know if i'm a popular youtuber in two years i'll buy the four thousand dollar camera yeah you just have to mm-hmm. make prudent decisions yes invest. so that's definitely something I want to talk about in the future because I feel like I've definitely accumulated a lot of shit in the name of YouTube or in the <laughs> name of like blogging that I didn't need and ended up like getting rid of or selling. Um, but as for now, to wrap it up, I wanted to say like this topic kind of came up because again, I've been reading a lot of books lately about like millionaire success habits. Um, so I'm reading or listening to the audiobook The Millionaire Next Door which is pretty old. You said it came out in 96. Mm-hmm. But this is less of like, um, I've always had a lot of resistance to listening to the more like uh, concrete books. I've always been like, it always felt like too difficult to me to think about numbers and like setting up a budget and stuff. So I would always listen to like a- attracting wealth mindset. Like, you know what I mean? Like, whatever so now i'm finally starting to listen to the more uh practicable things and millionaire next door is just like a big it's like a bunch of different case studies or like stories of different millionaires um and my brain is kind of fried a little fried from (laughs) talking so much but the point is like i've been wanting to like actually start budgeting for the first time in my life and we wrote out a meal plan and we went grocery shopping today at the Asian market and we spent $34, well, like $35. $34 and how many cents? Do you remember? It was 34 or 55 I, I think, nice. for like dinner supplies for an entire week for two people, which is amazing. And of course, like, we're not counting all the stuff we have in our pantry, but... Right. We have like rice and curry, but like we shopped at the Asian market, so we're going to have like ramen curry well two kinds of different asian curries we're gonna have thai curry and japanese curry this week we're making a lot of korean food Mm. so we're just eating all asian cuisine this week but it's very affordable i feel like i go through phases like being a you know food influencer i'm always like oh i have to buy every new vegan product out there and vegan products can be pretty expensive like all the fake meats and cheeses and they're usually bad (laughs) right that's not true um so when you like base your meals off of like vegetables and tofu and rice, like in grains, like it's so much healthier in my opinion than eating a bunch of like 
the oil-based cheeses and stuff. I mean, I love those. Yeah. Those are nice to have on occasion. But it's nicer to have some things just on occasion. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it just makes them better. Yeah. Right? The so frequency. Like, yeah. So like we shopped and came back and I'm, I've just been so satisfied that I only spent $34. I didn't know I could ever feel this level of satisfaction. <laughs> we, we, were, we were writing out our little meal plan. We were doing it last night and I had a, I had a note open on my phone and we wrote down all the meals we wanted to have this week. Mm-hmm. And then I put emojis of all the things we needed to buy <laughs> for them. So it was just like a broccoli emoji, an eggplant emoji, a cheese emoji. We use the cheese uh, <laughs> for tofu. For the for tofu, yeah, because they kind of look similar emoji. And they're kind of made similarly too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a really cute note. I highly recommend writing your shopping list like that using emojis instead of words because it's <laughs> very pleasant to look at. Right. And like one last thing, this since I you know do listen to a lot of like woo woo manifestation podcasts. So like I listen to a lot of. There's this lady on Instagram and who has a podcast called Manifestation Babe. (laughs) And she's like more of the like spiritual perspective on it. And she's like, well, like you want to have like positive associations with like everything you do with money. So she's like, you know, if if checking your bank balance or writing a budget stresses you out, like find a way to make it feel better. You know, like she's like, I always like pour myself some sparkling water and listen to my happy playlist and i like just like dance around do you know what i mean I like charge so my crystals and balance my chakras exactly <laughs> sorry um, i'm offending anyone out there right i mean i do that too so of course <laughs> i have a creativity crystal at my desk so. right so yeah anyway we'll do another episode on this probably in like a couple months after i've been like budgeting for a while I mean, I'm sure we'll just, we'll keep having different conversations mm-hmm. revolving around finances and money. Yeah. Because it's important, you know? I feel like it's this thing I've had on the back burner for a while, um, which I'll get into later. I'm, I'm not going to start a new topic now, but <laughs> uh, yeah. Write it down. We'll, we'll do it. Yeah. Before we end, I want to do a positivity box. Oh, positivity where box? Where we just talk about, every week I want to do a positivity box with just like one happy thing that's totally unrelated to the topic of the podcast can i go first yeah yeah okay okay yeah i feel like you're getting like tired hyper i am where you're like (laughs) yeah i can tell you're sleepy and losing it but it's making i'm also losing my voice yeah because i scream when i'm enthusiastic about topics which is funny because you're still so quiet you're i'm still louder than you when i'm speaking as soft as i can speak yeah okay my positivity box enter music cue okay great um (laughs) my positivity box would be that Last night we did that we did that budgeting planning thing where we wrote down everything we wanted to make this week and wrote down all the ingredients we needed to purchase and wrote down what we didn't what we didn't write down but we took note of what we didn't need to buy and then we also made a list of like Sarah's vegan kitchen projects that sh- that Sarah has to do and when she wants to release them and then we also wrote like okay this is what cute threats this is what we're doing these are when we're releasing these covers and um yeah it just felt really nice and it's nice to have a plan Mm -hmm. and i feel very motivated good so yeah what about you my mine is a lot less uh deep great mine is that okay so we live in san diego now and there's lots of different asian markets because there's a lot of cultural diversity here because there are a lot of asians right so listen i love thai food I absolutely love it. I never had it growing up. I was only introduced to it like maybe even after college. 
Um, and there's a lot of good Asian food in the Bay Area, of course, because they have a lot of a high Asian population there, too. So Population? When I lived in the Bay Area, I would pretty much only ever get, like, as far as takeout goes, I would only ever get, like, Thai food or pho. And when I moved to Colorado, there was really... There's not a lot of good Asian food in the area we were living. Maybe if we'd gone into Denver more, but... Not a lot of diversity in my experience anywhere in Colorado. Right. So we had like one Asian restaurant. We'd get pho a lot because it's affordable and delicious. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we had like this Asian fusion place that had like a couple Thai dishes and like a lot of sushi that we'd sometimes get food at. But we never... We had Thai food like one time. There was one place near us and it wasn't that good. So we never went back. Right. And so the week we moved here, we got Thai takeout from the same restaurant three times. And two of those days were the night we arrived (laughs) and the night after we arrived. Right. Because it's really close to where we live. And um, we just hadn't unpacked our kitchen and everything. We were tired. So we never usually get that much takeout. But should we we get it tonight? Should we treat ourselves? Well, see, it's not that expensive. But see, we just got ingredients to make Thai food, and which leads me to my actual positivity box uh, situation here uh-huh. is that okay? I would try to make Thai food at home because we didn't have a good place to. I know what to you're going to say it. now. I'm right. excited. <laughs> right for in in Colorado, and I was always like, why does it not taste as good as it the restaurant? Ninety percent there. Yeah, I'm like, it's good, but it's not that good. Okay. We move here, we go to 99 Ranch, an Asian grocer, like the first week. Was that the first week? Second week. And I find this ingredient called kaffir lime leaves, which I've always wanted to try. I've always seen them in like different recipe blogs, but I've never been able to find them. And when we eat Thai food, Mm -hmm. there are these weird dried leaves in our food that you pick out. Yeah. Because they're just in there for flavor. You don't eat them. Right. So I bought some and... This is the missing flavor that makes takeout so much better than the Thai curry you make at home. It's not fish sauce. It's no. not butter. <laughs> it's a fucking lime leaf. It's so good. If you guys have access to a good Asian grocer, go there and find these. I think you can find them in the freezer section too, but we found like a little clam sh- or like a little styrofoam container Package of in the Yeah, just section. a bunch of them. And they're so good. They're so fragrant. Um, I posted about them on Instagram and a bunch of people were telling me, just like throw a few into your rice when you make rice. And it's so good. It'll blow your minds. Also, people were telling me that same goes for um, curry leaves to make Indian food taste as good as... I didn't know there was such a thing Uh, called a curry leaf. I didn't know. I thought curry uh, was just like a blend of spices, which it might be. But also there's curry leaves and apparently they are mind-bogglingly tasty so we got to go find an indian grocery store and buy those too we're doing the thing that i love i love when this happens on podcasts i listen to when you're like oh they're gonna stop the episode's almost (laughs) over and then it just keeps going i love when that happens we should move the positivity box to the beginning though because because like these are need to know tips. Like everyone needs to know about the lime leaves. You want, They're you want, so you want me to good. edit it or from now on? From now on, let's do it at Posi- the beginning. Positivity box. Well, we can do a negativity box and a positivity box. Negativity box has to be first 
so then we can just move past it right and only talk about positivity okay i'm gonna pee in my pants <laughs> okay okay thank so. you guys for listening we'll see you next week <laughs> um you can always contact us what is life dude at gmail.com wait what is life dude show yep. at gmail.com if you ever want to leave any comments or tell any stories or ask for advice or recommend topics for future episodes um and you can check the show notes for our instagrams if you want to dm us instead mm-hmm. You can stream our music on all the (laughs) platforms and find us on YouTube under Cute Threat. And we'll talk to you next week. Latris on the Menjay. Latris on the Menjay.